This afternoon we've come to Lord's Day 11 of the Heidelberg Catechism. So I may proclaim to you what the church summarizes and what the Bible teaches concerning the name Jesus. Lord's Day 11, I will read that with you now. Where we confess the following, why is the Son of God called Jesus, that is, Savior? Because he saves us from all our sins, and because salvation is not to be sought or found in anyone else. Do those who seek their salvation or well-being in saints in themselves or anywhere else also believe in the only Savior, Jesus? No. Though they boast of him in words, they in fact deny the only Savior, Jesus For one of two things must be true. Either Jesus is not a complete Savior, or those who by true faith accept this Savior must find in him all that is necessary for their salvation. After the sermon will sing together from Psalm 72 again, Psalm 72, the 10th stanza. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, everybody worships something. People worship money or power or some other kind of idol that they've made up themselves or that exists in the world. And the reason everyone worships something is that everyone wants to hope in something or think of something that's larger than themselves. People instinctively know there's more to life than this life. And somehow, if you worship someone or something better or greater than yourself, then maybe you can also get a feeling that maybe you could reach something greater or better than yourself. But that's a false hope, isn't it? Because once you reach that point in your life, there's always something greater or better again to achieve. There are even people who worship Jesus this way. They, they worship him as some kind of a superstar who, who, can, who can make all their dreams come true. But congregation, is it possible for us to fall into that trap as well? to form a false mental image of who Jesus is. What do you expect of Jesus? What kind of a savior do you want him to be for you? After all, he did come to seek and to save the lost, to redeem the lost. And the key thing to remember in this is that though Jesus came to redeem, he came on his own terms, not on our terms. And so I proclaim to you the word of God under this theme. The Son of God is our Savior. And we will consider that he is a complete Savior. He is the only Savior. And that we must also follow this Savior. So when we say that someone needs to be saved from something, we're implying that we're, we're asking ourselves, well then, what is it that we need to be saved from? And so it is with the person of the Savior and the situation from which he saves us. Both of these things come into the picture. We not only call Jesus Savior, but he is 
Savior. He is Redeemer in his own person. And the question then is, well, what does he save us from? What does he redeem us from? The angel who appeared to Joseph in a dream had an answer to that question. He said, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And that statement lays out for us very clearly the life-threatening situation that we all find ourselves in apart from God. Because apart from God, there is no one who can save us from that situation. More about that in the second point. But what, what does that mean, though, that Jesus saves his people from their sins? Because some people claim Jesus came to save us from our misery, the misery of this life. Others say he's the one who leads us in, in the battle against discrimination or injustice. And others claim that Jesus came to save us from poverty and from war and from slavery. Right, And when we look around in this world, we see all those kinds of things. These are all the results of sin. That's the misery of sin. And of who wouldn't want to be saved from these things? Others want to be saved from materialism and the busyness of the modern world. So in the last decade, increasingly so in the last number of years, it's become very popular to go live off the grid somewhere, away from the hustle and bustle of city life. That seems to be some people's salvation. And young people live in protests against the previous generation. They don't want to dress like their parents. They don't want to act like their parents or live like like their parents. And they sometimes don't want to believe what their parents believed. Everyone is looking for their own paradise on earth. What do we need to be saved from? Must the Lord Jesus save us from discrimination? While he was on earth, Jesus witnessed the discrimination between Jews and and Samaritans. And he witnessed the discrimination against women and widows. Jesus also witnessed much hypocrisy. And he, he called the Pharisees out for it very often. At one time he said they were like whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. And he witnessed much greed and covetousness amongst his people, and he certainly witnessed and experienced the violence and injustice of the Roman authorities. But what did he do about all of these things? Did he start a crusade against all the abuses in society? Did he call for the overthrow of the Roman government? Did he call for people to rise up, take matters into your own hands? In fact, he did the opposite. I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. And elsewhere he said that all who take up the sword will perish by the sword. Does that mean that Jesus didn't notice the discrimination and the injustice around him? Not at all. As I already mentioned, on more than one occasion, he rebuked the Pharisees for their hypocrisy. He was willing to speak to the Samaritan woman. And he used the Samaritan as an example in one of his parables. He made women to be the witnesses of his resurrection. And he ate and drank with tax collectors and sinners. But one thing he never did, 
He never preached a gospel of self-redemption. He came to save his people from their sins. His goal was to attack the root of our problems. He is, he is a radical savior. He reaches down to the very deepest recesses of our lives, into our hearts, because that's where the problem is. Out of the heart, says Jesus, come all kinds of covetous thoughts, evil thoughts, sin. Our hearts are sinful. Sin is not a common word in today's society, is it? It's kind of a, it's a dirty word. Who talks about sin anymore? We have to fix discrimination. We have to fix poverty. But it's not a sin problem. For most people, that's a worn-out word. But the Bible shows us that the problem of sin is the deepest need of every man, woman, and child. Sin points to the, the deep lack of peace and contentment that everyone has who lives apart from God. Sin is the reason we miss the goal of our life. Because sin alienates us from God. Sin is the reason why people who are apart from God have no peace in their lives. And when the problem of sin is not taken care of, we have no peace because we remain alienated from our Creator. And that's true for all people. That's true for the oppressed and the oppressor. That's true for the abused and the abuser. For the healthy and the sick and the poor and the rich. And the scriptures tell us that Jesus came to rescue us from being alienated from God. He came to save us from the root of our misery. From our rebellion, our our mutiny against our creator. And that's where the greatest problem lies. Even though, by far, most people don't want to admit that that's the problem. Because people don't want to be humble before God. They don't want to bow before them. They don't want to admit that we have all sinned. And we all fall short of the glory of God, as Paul says. And that's why Jesus didn't begin attacking the symptoms of sin. If you need to get rid of the weeds in your garden, you don't get rid of them by just chopping the tops of the weeds off, do you? Right? You need to get at the roots. And our sin is like those weeds. It needs radical attention. And that's the reason Jesus became our Savior. And so he didn't come with a plan for, for better education or, or freedom from slavery or, or an economic plan for freedom from poverty. He didn't come to make this world a better place to live. But he came to make things right between God and us. And that's why we confess that he is a radical savior. He begins with our hearts. Our hearts that are full of sin. And it's only after our hearts have been cleansed. After the root has been decontaminated and and fumigated. then, Then the other things can be taken care of as well. But first we all need to have the experience of the prodigal son. I have to go to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And when we admit that, we have come to the point of confessing that Jesus is a radical Savior. A Savior who is able to save us completely. A Savior who is also our eternal high priest. Who always continues to mediate for his people. Who pleads for us before the Father. 
He has come to redeem us from sin and guilt. He redeems us from being alienated from our God. He restores that broken relationship and he is able to do it. And when you believe and trust in him, then things are good between you and your creator father. The catechism goes on to make a very important point. In answer 29, salvation is not to be sought or found in anyone else. So he is also our only savior. And in question 30, we find, it, it, question 30 broadens out that, that theme. Do those who seek their salvation or well-being in saints, in themselves or anywhere else, also believe in this, this only savior And the answer is no, Jesus is the only Savior. God claims the privilege of being Savior for himself. Already in the Old Testament, Isaiah 43, verse 11, I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. The Hebrew word for Savior is Yeshua, Joshua, and it means Yahweh saves. The Greek form of that word, as we know, is Jesus. And what does the Lord tell us in the Old Testament? It means that that besides God, there is no one who can act as Savior. Redemption is the work of God alone. And he showed that clearly in the New Testament. He appeared on earth as the Redeemer in the person of his Son, born of the Virgin Mary, conceived by the Holy Spirit. And the angel said to Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus. He is an exclusive Savior. He is the only means by which we can be saved. We cannot save ourselves. If you were sinking into a pit of quicksand, you could not save yourself. That is how it is with the problem of sin. Peter and John, they were arrested and dragged before the Sanhedrin because they healed a lame man in the name of Jesus. And they testify to the Jewish leaders about the salvation that is to be found in Jesus Christ. There is no other name under heaven by which man can be saved. No other name. In the Old Testament already, the people of God were very well aware that there is only one God. God impressed this upon his people. I am the Lord and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. Isaiah 45 verse 5. And he revealed that to them. He revealed that he is the God of salvation. He rescued Noah and his family. He rescued Israel from Egypt. He destroyed Pharaoh's army. He he toppled the walls of Jericho. He made the sun to stand still for Joshua and the armies of Israel. It was the Lord who did this. The great I am. The one who revealed himself to Moses as the one who is and who was and does not change. And in the Gospel of John, Jesus uses several I am statements when he speaks about himself. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the light of the world. And in each of these statements, he begins with an emphatic I am. And by applying that unique phrase to himself, he is implying that he is one with the God of the Old Testament, the God who saves. And there is no other, there is no salvation apart from this God. That's why he told the Jews, I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Now, the authors of the catechism, of 
course, they had the Roman Catholic Church in mind when they wrote Answer 30. Rome taught and still teaches today that the way to get through Jesus is through Mary or through other saints. They still speak of Jesus, but it is Jesus plus something else. Mary and the saints need to plead on your behalf. There are many others who believe a similar thing today. In North America, there are many churches that teach that it depends on us to accept the righteousness of Christ. Yes, Jesus is the Savior, they say, but but we have to do something too. We have to make an effort to be saved by Jesus. But that is not what Jesus says. Remember what we read this morning, apart from me, you can do nothing. We need to stick to what the Bible says. Salvation is from God alone and by God alone. And Jesus is a complete Savior. And we can't have a little of both. Jesus and a little bit ourselves too, helping ourselves. Because there's a very clear antithesis that comes out in the answer. One of two things must be true. Either Jesus is not a complete Savior, which means that we would have to look for some additional help, or He is a complete Savior in whom we find all that is necessary for our salvation. And we might think, well, that's... It's not a problem that we have, is it? Well, can we fall into the trap of denying our Savior? We would never say that out loud, of course, and probably never think that. But it can be a subtle trap. We know the teachings of Scripture and confession. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And, And good works cannot add anything to my salvation. Ephesians chapter 2. And yet, how easily are deeds of thankfulness, we turn them into things that we think we have to do in order to remain in God's favor, to be right with God. So often we come up with our own set of standards. And those standards standards are not really expressions of love, but conditions that that we think we have to meet in in order to measure up to a standard of our own making. And we even expect others to to measure up to those standards. I don't think I have to mention examples. And we have a tendency to, to also make less important matters into extremely important matters. And then we expect others to do the same. Or, or if others don't ex- support the same cause that we support... Or don't hold the same opinion on a certain point that we, that we have an opinion on. We're, we're quick to question whether or not they are, or we question their motives, or we're quick to judge. We can easily fall into the trap of seeking our well-being and security in a set of standards rather than in Christ alone. And in this way, we harm ourselves and one another, and we cause confusion, especially to new believers, and we dishonor the only Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we should avoid giving these impressions at all costs for the sake of our children, for the sake of our fellow believers, for the sake of those whom we want to evangelize. Jesus saves, and there is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. We cannot even add a single sigh to our own salvation. 
And let's be thankful for that. Because if you had to add something to your salvation in order to make it real, you would never be saved. Because whatever you added would not be perfect enough. You would remain in your sins then, and your debt to God would remain outstanding. The congregation, Jesus paid it all. And all you have to do is believe. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? But it's true. Believe the wonderful promises of the gospel. And even that is a gift from God. Faith is not something that just springs up in your heart. It's a gift from God. It's the Holy Spirit who plants that in you. And it's all because of what Jesus has done. And so we also must follow him. If Jesus really is who he says he is, like he told the Jews, I am. They knew exactly what he meant when he started those phrases with the words, I am. That's why he was crucified. If he says who he says he is, if he really is who he says he is, then we have to pay attention. As we heard this morning, do you fear the Lord God? And do you listen to his servant? Do you believe in him? Do you walk with him? Because I believe in Jesus, that's, that's easy to say. But it may never be a casual confession, a phrase that you just easily take on your lips. Because to believe in Jesus doesn't just mean that you you believe what the catechism says or or that you memorize the catechism. It doesn't mean that that you're, you're a member of the church and that you don't believe false doctrines like evolution or something like that. But to believe in Jesus means that your life is wrapped up in him. And that you submit your life to him, every aspect of your life. Your whole life must be enveloped enveloped by by who he is. So do you talk about him? Do you talk to him? Do you read about him? Do you read his word? Do you love him? I believe in Jesus must become more than just mere words to a disciple of Christ. I believe in Jesus must become a way of life. Faith must be transformed into holy living because if it is not, then maybe you have to question if it is the faith of the gospel. Faith in Jesus Christ is the only way in which we receive true life and it's the only way to live in this life and it's the only way we receive eternal life. So let's never forget that we don't have to and we may not and cannot trust in ourselves for our own salvation. We can't even if we try. And there's no comfort in living that way either. Because one day you feel strong And you feel the assurance of faith. And another day, you've fallen into sin and you feel weak. And maybe you doubt because you slipped once more. You see, congregation, the Christian hope and assurance is not based on the strength of our faith, but on the object of our faith, Jesus. And so there is no need for doubt. Because when we place our hope and trust in him, there is never a need to despair 
never a need to doubt your salvation because he carries the name that is above every name, Philippians 2, and he is a complete savior. He saves me from all my sins and my sinfulness. Even the sins of tomorrow are already covered by his blood. And he did that when he died for me on the cross. And he continues to work for me as long as I live. I have a Savior who is living. And he is living for me. And he sits at the right hand of the Father. He intercedes for me. He pleads for me at the Father's right hand. And that is true for everyone who trusts in him. And so then we don't have to fear the future. And we may live in hope. Because Jesus is a complete Savior. Amen.